Welcome to Spotlight, a Bournemouth University series exploring the people and stories behind the research. On today's episode, we chat to Dr Andrew Myers, who is working to challenge the stigma around mental health and make sure that the right services are in place to support people. This has included raising awareness of the need for new fathers to receive support and information around mental health, both to assist their partners and to deal with the changes around having a new baby that can impact their own mental health. But the work is far from over, as Andrew told me. I think, um, yes, there is a stigma. Um, It's most certainly getting better than it was maybe even five to ten years ago, but it's uh, it's still there. And I think the the problem is is it's an unseen uh, disability or, or life challenge, for the want of a better word. And I think people often struggle to see how someone could be struggling with their own mental health. So someone who who might be able to regulate their mood, rarely get problems with anxiety, don't often get problems with the way in which they're thinking. They don't quite understand that other people can feel that way. And when they do, the perception is, well, why can't they just stop thinking that way? And if only it was that simple. And of course, then what happens is a a person who's going through these are already feeling very vulnerable about the way they're feeling and thinking. And then they see all this public perception and media perception and the stigma and that they're then perceived as weak um, and um, should be able to sort themselves out. They're less likely to come forward and talk about these things for fear of being further judged and therefore don't seek the help that they need and it escalates into to poorer problems. So it really is quite a huge issue. And is there anything people can do then to help break down that stigma or maybe support people who they know who are struggling with their mental health? Absolutely. I think the more what we've been doing... Um, in recent years is making it okay not to be okay Uh, we've been uh, encouraged people to come forward and talk about their mental health in in a way that they haven't done before and kind of normalizing that you know there's no health no no physical health without mental health and they, they those things very much go together and i think if you knew someone who you thought might be struggling ask encourage them to talk ask if they're okay and and if they say yeah i'm okay ask again because often it's not the first answer it's that second answer and that then they might say well actually i am struggling a bit but i didn't really know whether i could talk about it and they absolutely can talk about it and is there anything people can do to boost their own mental health or well-being if they are struggling Uh, there, there are many ways i think we can take it back to perhaps like prevention measures, we all have mental health, um, every single one of us. And whether we struggle with that or whether we're able to cope from day to day is another matter. But what we can do to boost our own mental health is do those things, if you like, to encourage us to lead a more mentally healthy life. So it could be like um, making sure you get regular sleep, taking exercise, getting out into the open air, talking to people. Um, We say things like giving. What we mean by giving is do something for someone else. Try and maintain those things on a daily basis that are likely to boost your own mental health. However, If you then think you are beginning to struggle, if you feel that your mood is fluctuating in a way that is 
causing you problems with your relationships, your work um, or any other aspect of your life or you're feeling deeply anxious about something or you're struggling in any other way, don't be afraid to come forward to ask for that help because that is the first step to being able to find that help. It might not necessarily mean that you've got to go and see a GP and get some medication or go and have some kind of psychological therapy. That might be an option, but it might also be, well, hey, look, actually, we can sort this relatively quickly by getting you to do this. But until you come forward and seek that help, we can't get you on that road to recovery. And do you think there's the resource and financial investment that's needed for mental health services? Are they getting the same sort of attention and priority as physical health? Uh, I think if you ask the government, they're, they're, they would say that they're investing in mental health in a way they never have done before. And they would say that, wouldn't they? And whilst we welcome the investment that has been, a lot of that's been down to the campaigning that we've been doing, uh, that we've been urging uh, successive governments that they need to be spending more money. Um, and, and they have been doing so. But there really is still a lot more to do. So when we heard um, the NHS long-term plan at the beginning of 2019, we were very encouraged by the provision for mental health. And, and that was great. And there will be more investment. But a lot of what that focuses on is those NHS services, if you like, the psychiatric hospitals, um, the psychological therapies, those people who might be struggling or have the slightly more severe examples of mental health problems. What we're still not seeing is on the ground support through the third sector, through charities, um, through local authorities that helps people with their day-to-day -day mental health. Those people who might not need those intensive interventions but would need some kind of peer support, talking groups, uh, befriending, whatever it might be, just to make sure that they don't escalate into something worse. And one area you're particularly passionate about is perinatal mental health. So what exactly does that mean and what sort of issues might affect um, people throughout the kind of maternity process? It's a very loose term and it's important we use that because all too often when we talk about, oh, typically a mother's mental health, we think of postnatal depression. And that really is just the tip of the iceberg. Perinatal mental health talks about the period of pregnancy through to the child's at least their second birthday and in some cases we're actually talking about perinatal mental health even in pregnancy planning so it covers that entire period where it might be affecting um, the interaction with the child and we also need to make sure we're we're very clear here that we're not just talking about the mothers although that's where most of our work goes uh, it's also about the fathers too and other partners so it's not necessarily you know the typical mother father um, relationship it could be same-sex partners too um, and this is really important people often ask me why do we even need terms like postnatal depression perinatal mental health isn't it just mental health but for a mother or for a father why is that any different to any other adult well it's different for very many reasons indeed um, quite apart from anything else there is an additional person in that room there is the child and the impact of poor perinatal mental health on that child can be quite devastating and we've seen this because of the way in which the anxiety and the mood might interfere with that relationship 
easily during even during pregnancy the the anxiety towards the developing fetus and after the child is born because that relationship can be affected by the perinatal mental health then that child could potentially be affected by all sorts of developmental issues so you know that's important too and I suppose there's so much going on in someone's life when they're pregnant or just have a new baby hormone changes the lifestyle change so all of those things could potentially be triggers for mental health problems I suppose they absolutely can I think this is where we we, we need to make those distinctions um, quite often we do talk about the hormonal issues with the likes of postnatal depression and and they play a very small part um more so perhaps with what we call the baby blues which is not postnatal depression baby blues is what most mums go through but at least 75 percent where within the first few days after the baby's born they may experience fluctuating mood they may have anxieties they may be prone to tearfulness all sorts of things are are, are happening it's likely to go away within a few days. And this is very much a hormonal thing. Other conditions like postnatal depression and other more severe conditions like postpartum psychosis, maternal OCD, um, PTSD following birth trauma, these are much more focused on environmental and psychological issues. You're absolutely right. Um, those sudden life changes can have an impact on either parent about becoming a parent um, during pregnancy, about the anxieties and the fear um, and what is likely to happen once that child is born. Are they going to be able to cope? Um, is it going to be a massive change to their lives in a way that they are really not been able to deal with very well. Um, and of course, there's a whole bunch of other things as well, such as um, the extent to which the mother, in this case maybe, is likely to get support from her partner, um, previous history of mental health problems, um, her, her education, her income, whether a mother is nearby. Now, there's many, many things that can have an impact on whether a mother is going to develop mental health problems and, and indeed a father too. And recently you have been campaigning for new fathers to get more support and guidance and information around mental health um, after and before a child is born. Um, what prompted that and in what ways can fathers be affected? There was a chance encounter about five years ago where, where I met the inspirational father's mental health campaigner Mark Williams and the work that he was doing that I began to realize that actually fathers are very important in this too quite apart from the fact that they are often the first person who has to cope um, and support their partner should she have a mental health problem and at that point there was very little information very little support about what the father could do to help in that context uh, but I also realized that fathers could develop mental health problems independently one thing we do know is that one of the biggest factors uh, that can potentially influence whether a father develops a mental health problem is the mother's mental health so we already know that relationship but also we know that fathers can develop mental health problems as a result of similar but slightly different uh, environmental issues in terms of uh, the, the way in which they their sudden life changes the, the, the changing relationship with their partner um, their concerns about um things like income because they might now be the sole um, breadwinner um, and also the way in which 
these sudden changes are having an impact on on their child too about whether they can cope with this sudden change in responsibility and of course we're then um impacting the fact that typically in men with mental health whereas we have some difficulty getting anyone to talk about mental health problems more so with men and even more so with fathers so it became very clear to me that we needed to do this work as well not as not um instead of but as well because the whole symbiotic relationship there and one of the things that really um sort of started me thinking a great deal more we'd already been thinking about the impact of birth trauma we knew that mums who'd been through a significant birth trauma quite apart from the fact of the physical impact it's going to have on her um there was some relatively sparse research going on about the impact that would have on her mental health and the likelihood that it could potentially develop into PTSD what wasn't happening was how that could impact on the father now this is important because i think one of the things that is becoming increasingly common these days is the whole role of fatherhood is so very different to what it was even 10 15 years ago uh, and certainly you know going back to my own parents i was born in the late 50s the the, the father wasn't even in the hospital let alone the birthing room um and so all this has changed fathers are very much part of that birthing experience these days and so they should be and uh, right through from um planning through the pregnancy to being in that birthing room and you know sharing in that childcare so these are things that are beginning to happen so if we then imagine a father in that birthing room and it suddenly starts going wrong for one reason or another there becomes potentially a medical emergency it could be a a, a situation where there is potentially um a threat to 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 life of the mother and the the child that she she's giving birth to now the father's watching this helplessly and when the emergency actually kicks off quite rightly the father is often ushered out the room because they need every space they can to be able to deal with that emergency but what isn't happening is at that point the father's given absolutely no information about what's happening what's likely to occur next what the prognoses are likely to be what the impact is likely to have on her mental health and what to watch out for on his own mental health at the end of the day he has been in that room potentially watching his wife or partner and or his child die in front of him and all of a sudden you know he doesn't know what on earth is happening that's like any other trauma and the potential for him to develop PTSD as a result of witnessing that trauma and not having it dealt with is heightened and we needed to do more so it kind of that's when i started doing some research in this area it's one of the first pieces of work i did with fathers and then it really took off um the media the nhs um campaign groups they all became suddenly very interested in what i was doing and so what's happened as a result and what more do you think still needs to be done around this i've always thought it's really important to have campaigning and research working together we need to be able to do the research so we got the evidence um so we don't really understand what the problem is and what we need to do but you also need to have the campaigning to be able to say hey this is what we're finding and this is what we think should happen so what we did with that was that we started 
trying to convince uh, governments, uh, NHS commissioners, um, and a whole bunch of other people that we really needed to put fathers on the agenda. So what happened probably getting on for about a year ago, NHS England came to me and said, look, what do you actually want to see done? What can we do to make changes to support fathers at this time? Give us what your bucket list of things you'd like to do and back that up with evidence. And I did that, uh, as did a number of groups and individuals across the whole country. And then at the end, round about the end of November 2018, early December, NHS England announced that for the very first time, fathers were going to be supported. And this was great news. So what they announced was that in the cases where a mother had been referred to perinatal mental health services, whether that be a mother and baby unit or community psychiatric help for a perinatal mental illness, the fathers would be screened too. Great news, because as said earlier, we know that the one of the biggest, if not the biggest, risk factor for a father's mental health is the mother's mental health. So this was great news. Um, and then in January uh, 2019, when, the, when uh, the government announced the NHS long-term plan, within that there was a provision for perinatal mental health and within that there was provision for fathers so this was all good news at that point i was drafted onto an advisory group for nhs england kind of advising them on how um, this new service might look and so that was good news too but what became increasingly clear is for me in any case was whilst we welcomed the support that they had to screen the fathers in that way it was still missing a number of tricks it it was not picking up the fathers who could have developed these mental health problems regardless of whether the mother was ill so we'd miss those and also it was very nhs sort of secondary care uh, focus of um, psychiatric uh, intervention or psychological intervention where it was still missing what about these dads who just aren't coping with the day-to-day -day stuff we need more support within the community so I've been pushing very hard to make sure that that happens too. And how does it feel kind of knowing that the research that you've done and the evidence you've gained is actually helping people and making a difference? It's, it's Sometimes it's quite overwhelming but I think when I then sit down and actually think goodness this is also actually making a difference to people's lives it's very humbling and I think not only that the research that I used for those NHS changes was work that my students did in their psychology degree in the final year of that degree they did the data collection they did the hard work with, with obviously with my support and my expertise informing on that but it was their data that was put forward so for them to then realize that their data had been used to make changes to NHS policy and practice was just phenomenal for them and 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 now we're we're writing up that research and we're looking to publish it that research they will also be authors on that research which is lovely and so what's next for you then are there any areas where you feel more work is needed there are always more areas that we need to work on and and I don't want to lose the focus on the mums so we're going to be doing a lot more work on um, 
the impact of birth trauma, for instance. Yes, we need to do more with, more work with fathers, but if we look at the birth trauma work again, for instance, we want to start doing some work on same-sex partners, particularly if, you, you know, for instance, if you've got a lesbian couple, they both decide that they, they would like a child and one of those partners is going to actually give birth to a child. Her partner is going to be in that birthing room and if it all goes wrong, what support is she getting? So we need to be looking at that. We need to be looking at more work uh, about the ongoing impact of all perinatal mental health, the impact it has on that child and what we can do to support all that kind of work. Um, another piece of work I want to do and uh, to extend really is to be working more with the health professionals. Um, who particularly the perinatal mental health professionals. So anyone who's involved with families at the perinatal stage, whether they be midwives, obstetricians, health visitors, GPs, uh, and so forth, we need to be doing more work with that. Um, I'm working with the new president of the Royal College of Midwives um, to look at retraining midwives on perinatal mental health, but particularly on fathers' mental health. Uh, and I'm doing a piece of work with the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, which is very exciting. They're, they're, they're currently writing a new book on perinatal mental health that be used for trainee health professionals. And I've written a chapter on fathers. So we're beginning to see um, impact both professionally academically. And I hope we've also been able to change some of the perceptions out there. And if anyone listening to this podcast kind of needs help or support on any of the issues that we've touched upon, where can they go and, and what can they do? I mean, I think if, if you're only struggling yourself, well, one of the first things you could do is go, go, and, go and talk to your GP. Um, if you know someone who's struggling, encourage them to do that. If you're very worried about them, um, let's not forget that perinatal mental illness um, is one of the biggest causes of suicide in this country for both mothers and fathers. So if you're truly concerned about someone, do talk to them, open up that conversation and, and make sure that they get the help that they need. For more information or advice on any of the issues raised, please visit Andrew's website, andrewmyers.info. Thanks for listening. Join us next time on Spotlight and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud to hear more from Bournemouth University.